0: Pray with me, please. Father God, it is indeed good to be in your house today, Lord, uh, but it's with mixed emotions because uh, we know that while uh, our family is, is partly gathered, Lord, we know that some are still uh, at risk and not able to join us this morning, and we miss them, Lord, and, and seeing the empty chairs, I think, magnifies that a little bit, but Lord, we're, we're grateful to have a family to miss, Lord. We're grateful to have this community of believers, and I pray that you would keep those who are high risk, Lord, safe during this time. Um, and I pray now as we get to this part of the worship service, Lord, that you would indeed uh, renew our minds, Lord, that you would challenge us with the scripture today, Lord, that you would show us what being a living sacrifice looks like in our context, Lord. and uh, that we would be able to worship you uh, not just here, but Lord, as we go out those doors, in Jesus' name. So this morning we're uh, we're in the passage that we read uh, in Acts, and it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And many of you may be familiar with this passage, right? um, but I'd like to share what God has impressed upon me through this passage as as we're prepared. And I've got two two points and two questions to share with you today. And I promise one of the points is not how Philip how fast Philip must have been running to catch up to the the chariot. Um, But our our passage begins by finding Philip in Samaria, receiving clear instruction from the Lord. If you recall from uh, from Jonathan's last message several weeks ago, uh, that, that Philip was part of a really successful movement of God in Samaria. Many people were coming to the Lord. Things were going well for his ministry there. But God didn't tell Philip, okay, double down in Samaria, we have a chance to really build the local church or maybe go out to some of the surrounding villages and share the gospel there. That's not what the direction that God had. Verse 26 reads Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. All right, so a little bit of map here to help us understand where where are we in this discussion. All right, so I'll highlight Jerusalem first on the on the left hand side. Maybe. So Jerusalem is here. Okay. So during the persecution, right, Christians fled Jerusalem, and Philip finds himself in the city of Samaria. Okay. Now the uh, instruction that Philip receives send him sends him back to this road between Jerusalem and Gaza, right? described as a desert road, and that's where he meets the Ethiopian. And now to give you a little bit larger context, this map is, a, uh, is an exploded view of this small region here. Right? And so the Ethiopian was from this area labeled Kush. Kush and Ethiopia were sometimes used interchangeably, and I've labeled down here where modern day Ethiopia is. So Philip has to go from Samaria down to Jerusalem, back to this road between Gaza and, and Jerusalem. Right. So uh, while, while the call was clear, it wasn't really specific to a location. It's like, just go to this road. Right. It's like saying, go to 110. 110 is really long. Where do, where do you want me to go? It's kind of reminiscent of the call of Abram. Right. But as we read, uh, this direction from the Holy Spirit led to one Ethiopian official becoming a Christ follower which is good, right? But that leads us to the first point this morning. God's leading in economy doesn't always make sense. If you've learned some aspects of business or maybe from your own personal life, you've, you've heard of a term called ROI, it's return on investment. Return on investment, it, in the context I'm most familiar with is when we have these large projects at work and there's a capital investment that needs to be made. We're talking to you, millions of dollars. And so uh, there's, a, there's this calculation of return on investment that's a forward-looking calculation that says, okay, if I invest this much money now in this project, this is how much, how long it'll take me to recoup that investment and then the profit I'll make because I made that investment right, over a certain span of time. Now, being able to do that kind of calculation helps you compare investment options. You can say, okay, if we do this investment, this is how much we'll make, It, it makes it worthwhile versus this other project, it doesn't make any sense. Or sometimes it makes sense to just not do anything. And it makes it easy, again, to compare those types of investments. And many times, if the ROI isn't above a certain threshold, they'll say, this project isn't worth it, right? We're sure we can think of something better to do with that money. And if we consider the ROI of Philip in the Ethiopian, it probably wouldn't have looked favorable. One guy comes to know Christ. One. There are hundreds in Samaria, and there's a growing excitement for the gospel there more and more people are likely to come to know, to know Jesus. Right? And there's these other towns around Samaria that have the opportunity there as well. Hmm. Ah, but you may suggest that the Ethiopian is then in position to carry the gospel back to Ethiopia. That's true, but why not send Philip to Ethiopia? Would that not have a better chance of success than a guy who just got baptized on the side of the road and known Jesus for a few minutes? This story reminds me a little bit of, of the parable of the lost sheep. You'll remember that, where Jesus talked about leaving the 99 to go after the one. Does that ROI make sense? 99 out of 100 is pretty good. And you risk something happening to the 99 to go after the one. Well, A little more broadly, well, what's the return on investment for Jesus? Because he's the shepherd in that story. He's the one that put aside his glory, living with the Father in heaven. He's the one that assumed the frailty of man. He immersed himself in this world filled with sin and brokenness. He encountered temptation, betrayal, false accusations, injustice, abuse, humiliation, and ultimately death. All for someone like me. Someone who continues to battle a sinful sinful nature someone who disappoints them, who ignores the Spirit's leading. He did that for me. That, that doesn't sound like a, a very good ROI. But thanks be to God that his love, his mercy, his grace outshine any ROI calculation. Right? And for me, that's part of the gospel. He didn't do those things because of what I could give him. He did those things out of his sheer love for me. Now, Philip was obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. Simply put, he went where he was led. The church tradition holds that the Ethiopian official then becomes a missionary to his own people, leading others to Christ in a faraway land. And we get to see Acts 1:8 unfolding, different nations, different races coming to know Jesus. No limit to this gospel invitation. So maybe you're asking, well, what in the world is an Ethiopian go back to the, to the map, what's this guy from way down here doing in Jerusalem in the first place? Uh, and that kind of brings us to the second point I'd like to make today. That is, God has set some divine appointments. And as we, as we talk about this, I want to start at the end of the story and kind of work, work our ways back understand how the story unfolded for the Ethiopian, but again, starting at the end and working our way back. So Philip and the Ethiopian, they're in the chariot, right? And they pass a body of water on a desert road, which you can assume means there's probably not a lot of water around. And they pass it at just the right time so that he could be baptized. Not before the Ethiopian had decided to follow Jesus, and not before Philip had described baptism to him that he actually knew what baptism was and what it meant and represented. Then again, when Philip is approaching the chariot, he hears Ethiopian reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. Now, when Philip approached the chariot, he could have been not reading anything. He could have been reading any other book of the Bible. He could have been reading any other chapter in the Bible. But here we find him reading a passage out of Isaiah 53, a messianic passage about the suffering servant. And it reads, in, uh, starting in verse 29, the, Then the Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come, sit up, come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth." You can imagine that the events surrounding Jesus' death, burial and resurrection were still fresh in Jerusalem. And likely the Ethiopian had heard a particular narrative. He'd heard a narrative uh, that this guy claimed to be the Messiah, but obviously because the Romans were still in charge, He wasn't the anointed one. He wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't their Savior. But rather a story of Jesus that sought to maintain the status quo. The fact that the Ethiopian was reading this passage afforded Philip an opportunity to point to Jesus, right? And show him how he did fulfill this prophecy in others. How over 500 people had seen Jesus risen from the dead. If we think about uh, the fact that the Ethiopian is reading in Isaiah, if if he's reading Isaiah 53, he probably also read Isaiah 18, which interestingly enough is a prophecy about the Ethiopian's country. It's a prophecy against that country, but it's a prophecy that ends in a promise in verse 7 in Isaiah 18. It says, at that time, gifts will be brought to the Lord Almighty from a people tall and smooth-skinned, from a people feared far and wide an aggressive nation of strange speech whose land is divided by rivers. The gifts will be brought to, the Mount, to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord Almighty. Now, these tall and smooth skinned people are identified in verses one and two as the people of Cush, again, which is another name for, for Ethiopia. God was initiating the fulfillment of 18.7, Isaiah 18.7 and Acts 1, eight, in this encounter. Really impressive to see how God is working through these events to unfold his plan Again, why is this Ethiopian in Jerusalem in the first place? It's not unusual for people from other countries to have been converted to Judaism or to be God-fearers who really appreciated certain aspects of of the Jewish faith but were not committed to it. And then there's a broad slice of, of the world at that time that was very pluralistic who wanted to cover their bases, so to speak, and so tried to pay homage to to many gods. But the fact that he was actually studying the scripture suggests that he was likely one of the first two, either a convert or someone who really enjoyed aspects of Judaism. And it's not clear why he was in Jerusalem at this time or if it was a yearly trip for him, but it was at just the right time, shortly after the events of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. All that to say, God has set some divine appointments. I don't believe in coincidences. And today may be a divine appointment for you. That leads me to the two questions. The first one is, are you a Philip? Are you a Philip? Well, that's a little bit of a trick question because if you... Uh, If you love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a Philip. So the question behind the question is, are you going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit like Philip? Even when it doesn't make sense. When it's uncomfortable, when it's not in our agenda, not in our plans. When the budget or the ROI doesn't make any sense. Because I really think when we put a filter of human reasoning on the promptings from the Holy Spirit, we get human-sized results, and we get exhausted just doing that. I don't think that's an idea unique to me, but it's something that really got underscored as I studied this passage, and I think it's maybe worth repeating. When we put a filter of human reasoning on the promptings from the Holy Spirit, we get human-sized results, and we usually end up burned out. We need to think about this individually. We need to think about this as families. We need to think about this corporately as cornerstone. And the more we dismiss the promptings from the Holy Spirit, the more difficult it gets to hear them. I think God spoke so clearly to Philip because Philip walks so closely with the Lord. Remember, Philip is is one of the deacons appointed alongside Stephen. Stephen, his his compatriot who lost his life in faithful witness to the gospel. He's part of this group of people who dispersed out of Jerusalem due to this heavy oppression against believers. This is Philip who's in the land of the despised Samaritans who have made him offensive to the Samaritans and his own people. I think God... And Philip are were walking pretty closely together because I'm not sure how Philip could have done it otherwise. Walk closely with God and stay tuned into the Spirit by following his leading in the big things and the little things. And sometimes we want to go for a big splash. We want to knock it out of the park for Jesus, right? We want to see something big happen out of, out of what we do. But I want to emphasize the little things for a minute. In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching about the, uh, out of the, the parable of the talents. In verse 23, he says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, most of the time when we read this passage, we're thinking about the end times. We're thinking about standing in judgment and, and heavenly rewards, right? And I think that's right because... Uh, the judgment is done when the Master returns. And this passage is sandwiched in the middle of lots of times in times uh, descriptions from Jesus. But why not view it also as here and now? There's no disconnect in sharing in Jesus' happy happiness in the here and now. There's no disconnect in sharing in the joy of our Saviour in today. There's no disconnect. Be faithful in the little things and enjoy the walk we have with him each and every day and be ready for bigger opportunities when he opens them up. So if you're faithful and responsive in the little leadings from the Holy Spirit, you can believe that'll lead to bigger things where you get to see God move in mighty ways. There's kind of a cool example from, uh, from our family I'd like to share with you. Uh, sorry, I'm used to walking around. This is kind of hard to be... <laughs> Um, but I was uh, when we lived in South Carolina I had a really tortuous commute it was about 10 minutes long and uh, door to door, it's brutal uh, but on the way home in the evenings depending on what time I left work because I left work lots of different times but between 5 and 5.30 there was a Christian talk show and I, I really loved what the guy had to say he would usually uh, we'd talk through you know, current events the culture uh, really insightful guy But this particular day on the way home, I was in that stretch between five and 5.30. The regular host is out. He's invited a friend to share as the host that day. And that guy has invited a guy on the show for an interview. So I'm listening to, to this interview and I learned that this guy is from Worcester, Massachusetts. So what in the world is Worcester? How do you spell that? And I, and I listen to this guy, and this guy just amazes me. I fall in love with him because he, uh, he, he was in the corporate world, had a successful career, and he got a calling from the Lord to go uh, to be a pastor in New England. He's living in North Carolina, and he gets this call, and he responds, and he goes to seminary, and he ends up uh, going to Worcester, Massachusetts, and when his family arrives, they double the population of the congregation. So talk about explosive growth right there. Two X in one day. Uh, but I get, to, I get to hear his story about how they're ministering to the community in so many different ways. Uh, he was at Pleasant Street Baptist Church, which is not in the best section of, of, of Worcester. And I get to hear all the great things that, that they're doing, that the, that the Lord is doing, the way he's moving there. It's really neat. Um, and so I, you know, during my 10-minute commute, I'm able to hear this very specific interview. And and I get home, and many times when we hear something like that, even if it's encouraging, even if it's uplifting, we kind of go, oh, okay, that was nice. It's a little bump, and then it's back to life as normal. But God put it on my heart to reach out to this guy, to call him. And I wasn't sure why. But I kind of listened to that little prompting, and I reached out to him, and we had a great conversation. And fast forward a few years, uh, our family is leading mission trips from Malden, South Carolina to Worcester, Massachusetts. Right? We're going to be a part of the ministry there. We lead three different teams up there. Uh, we get to be a part of, of, of what God's doing in Worcester. We get to be a part of, of food distribution programs, of, of community meal night, of block parties, right? of, of clothing ministries, of a baby boutique to help support moms who are low income and, and, and feel stressed about, should I have an abortion because I just can't afford it? Or should I go through with this and know that there's a community of people who love me and will support me through this? Really amazing opportunity. Um, we took people who, it was their first mission trip, and they got to see what God is doing in Worcester. And a few things just really stuck out to me as, as amazing learning points. Right? Um, one was seeing my kids on that trip. Because they would approach people and invite them to a block party or invite them to service, and these are people that you and I would probably be like, "Whoa, timeout! Let's, let's think about how we approach them." They look a little rough. I've never seen that many tattoos on one body in my life. You know, they've got piercings where I didn't know it was possible. People who would probably challenge us when we first saw them. But Lucas and Julia, they didn't see that. They saw them with the love of Christ people who needed a family, people who needed love, people who needed to, to be able to celebrate in a, in a safe place. And so they would walk up to, to strangers and invite them. And at the time, no one could say no to them. It was really neat to see. Another really neat thing that I remember from that experience is uh, Noel Williamson, who was the pastor there. He's, he's since moved on, but he had a flag uh, in the balcony of the church for every country that had ever been represented in that church. And you looked up, and it looked like the United Nations. There were so many different nations represented in, in Pleasant Street Baptist Church. You know, God tells us to take the gospel to the nations. <laughs> God was bringing the nations to us, and, and to, to, to Pleasant Street, and they got to hear the gospel. And it was just so neat to be able to appreciate that. So all that to say is, you know, listening in on the little things. I didn't know what I was going to say to this guy. I didn't know what would come out of this conversation. I didn't know if he'd answer the phone or return my call. I didn't know. But we got to see some amazing things. Back in Matthew 25, there's also a negative example in the same parable. There's the, uh, the servant who did nothing with what he was given. And unfortunately, I've got stories for that one too. A lot more than the positive story I just shared. There are many times that that God puts people in my heart to call them, and I'm like, I've got too much to do. But do I really? In this parable, the servant was not called good and faithful. but He was called lazy and wicked. Have you ever thought of not following the Holy Spirit's leading as lazy? Or wicked. I've definitely thought lazy, but wicked that seemed a little strong. I think Andy shared a couple of weeks ago the passage from James 4, verse 7, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. As soon as the Holy Spirit gives you that prompting, you know the good you're supposed to do. That's really challenging. But thankfully, we're not yet standing before Jesus to give an account of these opportunities. And by his mercy and grace, he continues to give us more opportunities. And by his mercy and grace, at the end, we're not judged because of what we've done with those opportunities, but because of the perfect life of Jesus Christ. When we do follow the Holy Spirit's leading, I think we'll have our own Philip stories to share. You'll be a part of a kingdom story. So if you've not been listening to these promptings from the Holy Spirit, confess that. Ask Him to give you a heart that desires to hear from Him. Ask Him to give you a heart to follow His promptings. Ask Him to speak to you, to guide you, but be prepared to hear things that don't necessarily add up or make you uncomfortable or not convenient. Are you going to be a Philip? That takes us to the the second question. Maybe you're the Ethiopian. As you joined us in worship today or or maybe online, are you in just the right place at just the right time? Are you in a place where, where something's missing? Where you just don't understand the chaos that's going on in the world around us? where you've heard bits and pieces of this gospel. It may be that today is the day you're to ask a Philip to join you in the chariot and ask him for help. It may be that today it's time to give it your life to following Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the day to jump out of that buggy and get baptized and bring him back to your Ethiopia, to your Wisconsin, to your home. Several things may have lined up for you to be here today, to be tuned in today, but I don't believe it's a coincidence. Pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the consistency. We thank you for the truth that never fails, Lord. And while these principles are not new, Lord, we confess we, we have challenges, I have challenges, Lord, even with sometimes the most basic things. Lord, so uh, I just ask that you uh, would guide us, Lord. I confess to you that I I don't always listen to your promptings, Lord. I don't always follow them, Lord. And I'm sorry for that. I ask that you would give me a heart that wants to hear from you, Lord, that wants to follow you, Lord, that that doesn't want to put a a filter of human reasoning on what you lead us to do, Lord. So thankful for... uh, for this time together lord i pray that you uh, would do things in and among us lord as individuals as families corporately lord i just pray that um, the gospel would be would be more broadly shared lord in westford in massachusetts lord uh, all over the world thankful for our missions team lord and i just pray that you would uh, make us all sensitive to lord to uh, the promptings that uh, that you give us with regards to that, Lord, for that leadership team, Lord, and for the opportunities that come up that you want us to follow, Lord. pray that you open our heart and our eyes to that. In Jesus' name.